Good morning, Central Baptist Church family, and good morning to you two who are joining us from uh, different places through this uh, Facebook live stream. Um, we thank God for once again giving us another day. Uh, although we are not able to meet, we thank God that His Word is still living and active. His Word is still um, going out in power. Um, and may God throughout this time preserve us and keep us safe and even those who are grieving um, may God through this time be um, your your comfort I'm reminded of the words of a hymn a chorus in a, in a hymn um, that is uh, the name of the hymn is we have an anchor um, just maybe to to give you comfort from that hymn, um, the chorus says, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, um, fastened to the rock that cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Even throughout this time, we can be assured that our anchor holds, and it holds because it is in Christ. We continue this morning with our uh, sermon series. There are many sermon series in the book of Malachi. Um, we looked at chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 5 last week and focusing on how God loves us. This morning, we're looking at Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, and we're going to read up until um, chapter chapter 2, verse 9. So Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 2, verse 9. That's where we will find our um, reading for today. And the title for our sermon this morning is Giving God Our Best. Giving God Our Best. That is found in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 2, verse 9. Nine. Let us take this time presented to the Lord in prayer that he will help us to hear his word and appropriate it in our lives. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, a God who is never silent. Your word cannot be stopped. Your word cannot be bound. Your word is powerful it is living and active. We pray that you will speak to us clearly from your word even this morning as we dive in this series from Malachi. We pray that our hearts will be opened, our minds will understand your truth, that you will draw us to yourself and convict us, that in your grace, O oh God, you will lead us to repentance. Help me as I declare your word this morning. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought that you will be honored and glorified in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I remember when I was young, uh, there was a lady who called uh, my, my, my mom and happily announced that she was bringing clothes and, and shoes for us. When the day came for her to give us the items um, and we opened the bag that was full of stuff, to our utter disappointment, everything in the bag was torn 
and looked very, very old. They, they, they were not fit for human use anymore. My mom took the clothes and, and the shoes and, 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 and bent every piece of them. Uh, from this, I learned a great lesson from my mom as she was doing this. And she said um, to us, especially, um, I, I learned a great lesson about giving, especially of things like clothing items. She said to us, don't give anything that you would feel ashamed of wearing in public. Don't give anything that you yourself would feel ashamed of wearing in public. In other words, what she was saying is give your best. And what she was also implicitly saying was that the latest, uh, that, that latest um, giving was disrespectful. It was disrespectful. We see the very same thing in our passage this morning, akin to the lady who gave the shabby clothes and torn shoes. In spite of God's great love for his people, which we saw last week, God's people were not bringing their best to the table. When you look at verse 7, they were offering crippled and sick animals to God. Look at verse 8. This revealed that their love for God had grown cold. They clearly did not value their relationship with God. A relationship that had been sealed with a covenant. God had kept his, his end of the covenant, but they were, they were failing to keep theirs. God loved them, but they were not loving God. And so, uh, through Malachi, God called his people to offer him their best. And, and through Malachi, God is calling us also to offer him our best. Not to end God's favor, although, but as an expression of thanks for all that we have from God. Please open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, and we're going to read up until verse uh, chapter 2, verse 9. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read God's word. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who, are de who, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the lost table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice... Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are, are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of the Lord that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. 
For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and, it, and its fruit, that is, its fruit may be despised, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has male in his who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O, o priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings." And you shall be taken away with it. So, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned away many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. As we read this passage this morning, I see four contrasts here. First of all, the contrast between human fathers and their sons and the heavenly father and his people. Secondly, the contrast between God and governors in verse 8 to verse 10. Thirdly, the contrast between Israel and the nations in verse 11 to verse 14 of chapter 1. Fourthly, the contrast between Levi and the priest in Malachi's day. This is chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. We'll divide our time together this morning around these four contrasts. They teach us four truths about the difference between acceptable and unacceptable worship. And as we work our way through this passage, it's my prayer that we will gain a greater understanding of what acceptable, acceptable worship is and be motivated to offer our best to God. The first contrast is found in verse 6. L l listen to verse 6. And a, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. 
You see, every father is called to love his children, to care for them, to provide for them, to protect them, etc. And every child is called to give honor and respect to his or her father. If this is the case in relationships between human fathers and their sons, how much more should it be in the relationship between God and his people? God had loved Israel like a father loved his son. And we saw last week that God chose Israel from among the nations to receive his grace and blessings. He had saved them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. He called them his son. And all the children, uh, um, all children are called to do, uh, they, 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 should, they should have honored God as their father. But they failed to honor him as their father. Now the question is, how have they failed to honor God as their father? Here we find our first truth in this passage. Those who dishonor God, disobey and despise his name. Those who dishonor God, disobey God and despise his name. At the most basic level, they had disobeyed God. Look at verse 8. He says to them, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And you, when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? In the law, God commanded that the people offer sacrifices without blemish. They, 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 they couldn't be blind or disabled or, or mutilated. But in Malachi's day, the, the, the people were bringing blind and lame sacrifices to God's table in verse 8. That they were disobeying God. It was the priest's job to inspect the animals to see if they had any blemishes. When you remember Leviticus chapter 27, especially verses 11 to verse 12. If they had blemishes, the animals that were being uh, sacrificed, they were to be rejected. The, the priest went, went, expecting the, went inspecting the sacrifices here. So both the people and the leaders in Malachi's day were dishonoring God by disobeying God's clear instruction. But there was more than disobedience here. In verse 6 we are told that they were despising God's name. What does that mean? God's name has to do with his character and his actions. God's name is understood best through his great act and in, in redemptive history. Think of the Exodus, right? In, in Egypt, Israel was enslaved to the most powerful country in the world. But God brought his people out of slavery. God showed his glory through the plagues and the miracles at the Red Sea. And God showed his grace through the plagues and the miracle as well. Israel was saved from the plague of the firstborn. And that was only through the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb. All future sacrifices in part were a way to say thanks to God for saving them and bringing them into a relationship with him. Future sacrifices were a way to honor God's name as seen in the Exodus. So when Israel offered blemished sacrifices to God, they were spitting in his face. They, they, they were saying that his glory and grace wasn't that valuable to them. They were despising his name. They were dishonoring God. Now the question is, how does that apply to us? How does this, all of this apply to us? 
You see, as Christians under the new covenant, we, we don't offer animal sacrifices today, do we? But we still offer sacrifices. I did a search for sacrifice in the New Testament this week, and it transforms the sacrificial language. In view of God's uh, mercy, we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God as our spiritual worship. So our whole lives are called to be like a sacrifice because all of that we have in Christ. First Peter says that part of our sacrifice is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his, his marvelous light. So evangelism is a sacrifice we offer today. Peter goes on to say that when we live holy lives, that's a sacrifice to God. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 to 12. Philippians says that our financial giving to the church is sacrificial. That is Philippians chapter 4 verse 18. Ephesians says that our love for one another in the body is a sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. Romans says that our spiritual gift to, to build up the body is part, of, is part of what it means to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 to 8. And Hebrews calls us to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Are you, are your sacrifices honoring to God? Are you obeying God or disobeying Him? Are you giving God your best or are you giving God your leftovers? Are you giving God out of a heart of gratitude? Or are you giving God through the motions? Is your evangelism honoring to God? Does the way you live show that you are thankful for God's grace? Does the way you give your money show that you are thankful for all that God has given you? Is your service to the body of Christ out of a desire to obey your heavenly Father? Or are you just going through the motions? Offering your second best to God? When we don't give our best to God, we prove that we don't think that He's worthy of our best. Let me repeat that. When we don't give our best to God, we prove that He is not worthy of our best. Some of our offerings to God are more like giving someone old and torn clothes or, or giving rotten food to someone who is hungry. That they are, uh, uh, than they are like sacrifices. Are your sacrifices, are your offerings to God a sacrifice, or are they like you are giving, as if you are giving torn clothes and torn shoes and 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 rotten food? Is that the case? You see, when we don't give our best, we prove that we don't think He's worthy of our best. And what does God say have to say to people who don't give their best? We find the answer in the second contrast here. Look at the second half of verse 8. God says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. The, the, the contrast here is between God and governors. Remember that during Malachi's day, there wasn't a king in Israel. But, but they had a governor. Nehemiah was uh, once a governor um, 
he became a governor after Malachi prophesied. The point God is making here in verse 8 is similar to the one made in verse 6. If a human father deserves honor, then surely our heavenly father deserves honor. If a human governor would not accept their half-hearted offerings, then surely God wouldn't either. This teaches us that God will not accept half-hearted worship. God says so explicitly in verse 10 here, what we offer to God matters. But the way we offer it matters even more. The, the, the Psalms teaches us that God will accept offerings that are full of thanksgiving. In Psalm 50 verse 14, he doesn't just want bulls and rams. He'll be pleased with the sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51 verse 17. That, that's what God wants. He wants our heart, our whole heart. In worship, let me add this. In worship, the heart must go before the mouth. The heart in prayer must go before the mouth. God wants our whole heart. As Malachi says in chapter 2 verse 2, God wants us to take to heart what he says about acceptable worship. God wants us to love him with our whole heart, soul, and strength. That is, God wants us to love him with all that we are and all that we have. He wants us to, to, to give him our best because we think that he's worth it. In Malachi's day, the priest and the, the people went worshipping him with their whole heart. In verse 13, we are told that the priests had grown weary in offering sacrifices. They had become bored in worship. They, they, their heart wasn't in it. And so, why would God accept that kind of worship? Is your heart in worship? Or have you become bored in your worship of God? One way to gauge whether or not you've become bored in worshiping God is to ask who you give your best to. The Israelites were giving to God what they would never give to their governor. What about you? Many Christians today will give their whole heart to their work, but they'll give their heart a half-hearted service to the body of Christ, that they'll spend freely when it comes to fixing their house or buying their clothes for their wardrobes, but they'll give sense when it comes to building God's house. They'll give their full attention to pirates versus chips uh, game and, and, and a, or a bulls versus cheetahs game that lasts for more than an hour, but all of a sudden they have ADD when a church service goes 10 minutes long or when it comes to reading their Bible. Are you bored in your worship of God? And if so, do you expect God to accept that as a sacrifice of praise? God doesn't want half-hearted worship. God wants your whole heart. He wants all of it. He doesn't want some of it. He wants all of your heart. As Christians, we love singing hymns 
with our mouths, but our hearts are not there. I was listening to a sermon once, and uh, by Martin Lloyd Jones. I, I forgot what the sermon is. It was a long time ago, and uh, the church was singing, "I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender." And, and, and Martin Lloyd Jones, with his Scottish accent, was saying, "Brethren, do you really surrender all?" Or are you just singing because of the words? Do you really surrender all? Are you surrendering your heart truly to God? Or are you giving him half-hearted worship? He wants your whole heart. And this is drawn out of um, the third contrast here in our passage. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, this is what the word of God says. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And look down at verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The, the contrast that, it be, that is being made here is between Israel and the nations. Israel was not honoring God's name. God's name wasn't great in their hearts. God wasn't respected or feared, but God didn't have to accept that kind of hard-hearted worship. Because he knew that one day his name will be honored among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, he says, my name will be great among the nations. That is, from the east and the west, my name will be great. Jesus said something similar in Luke chapter 13, verse 29. And he said this, he says, and people will come from east and west from north and south and recline at the, tem at the table of the kingdom of God. God had given Israel the blessings of his covenant. That they had known his love, but they were not honoring God in return. That the nations did not have all the blessings God had given to Israel. But here God is promising that they would honor God's name. They would worship him wholeheartedly. This contrast teaches us that God's name will be honored among the nations. And, and, and praise God for that promise. Uh, it's, it's a promise to us. For we are here today, um, we are recipients of that promise. God's worship is no longer tethered in Jerusalem. And it's no longer limited to the Jews. God is the great king over all the earth and now his kingdom is spreading from shore to shore. And this began at the Great Commission and will continue until his return. As we think about the mission of the church and missions to the nations in particular, let's not forget the purpose of the Great Commission, that the purpose of the Great, of, of the great Commission is for God's name to be honored among the nations. I love the way John Piper puts it in his book, 
on, on missions. Let the nations be glad. This is what he says. He says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of, of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But God, but worship abides forever. God's name will be honored among the nations. God will receive wholehearted worship from all the nations. That's the purpose of God's missions. And may it remain the purpose of our mission. We exist to make disciples who glorify God. Let's look now at the fourth contrast. It's found in chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 9. The contrast is between Levi the priest, Levi and the priest in Malachi's day. It shows us the seriousness of not offering God acceptable worship. As verse 5 says, God made a covenant with Levi and with all his sons who would serve as priests. It was a, a covenant of life and peace. And it was a covenant of fear. The, the, the life and peace were what God promised Levi and his descendants. But the covenant wasn't one-sided. Levi and his sons were called to fear God. That is, they were called to worship and obey God. The, the contrast is between what the Levitical priesthood had, had once been and what it was in Malachi's day. At one point, the priest did fear God and God gave them life and peace. We see this in verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. But in Malachi's day, the priest didn't fear God. Look at verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, since they went keeping God's covenant, God wasn't going to continue to give them life and peace. Instead, he was going to curse them. Look at verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. This was a devastating blow. I will curse your blessings. What this is referring to is the blessing of Aaron that this priest would have would have said to, 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 to people after they offered their sacrifice. This blessing is found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to verse 26. And this is what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's really interesting. Almost all of the language from the blessing of Aaron is used in our passage this morning. It is used in an ironic way. Instead of blessing the people, God says they will be cursed in verse 2. The priest hadn't guarded God's knowledge or kept God's ways, so the Lord wouldn't keep them. They had 
kindled or, or shine, shined vain fire on the altar. So the Lord's face wouldn't shine upon them and be gracious to them. Their half-hearted offerings would not receive the Lord's favor. That is, God wouldn't turn his face toward them. They hadn't walked with God in peace and uprightness. So the Lord wouldn't give them peace. The words the priests were using to bless the people, God is using to, to curse the priest. God curses their blessings. And if that's not enough, look at what he says in verse 3. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. The, the dung spoken here is the entrails and the bodily waste that would, would be left after a sin offering. The, this would have to be taken outside the camp and be banned. This is a figurative way of saying that the priest in Malachi's day were going to be removed from office in utter disgrace. The priest in Malachi's day must have repented when they heard this warning. But we see this, we, we, we see in the book of Nehemiah that the priesthood was reformed, but it did not stay reformed. Only with the coming of Christ was there a priest who truly fulfilled the covenant God made with Levi. Christ provides the greatest contrast to the priest in Malachi's day and all of the priests before um, that day. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found in his lips. He walked with God in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. He was the true messenger of the Lord of hosts. Hebrews calls him the high priest of the new covenant. And he offered a perfect sacrifice for sins without spot or blemish. He didn't offer the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. And it's through his blood that we have eternal redemption. And it's through his blood alone. It's only through his perfect sacrifice that we have the forgiveness of sins. And now he has ascended to the Father. He lives to make intercession for us as our great high priest. Christ has given his all and has given his best. Therefore, let us give our best to him. In view of God's mercy, let us present our, ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. And that is essentially what Hebrews teaches. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 to verse 29 puts it this way. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God takes our worship seriously. He is a consuming fire. He won't tolerate false worship. He will judge those who pretend to worship but are not authentic. He wants us to worship him with fear. He is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to love him because he first loved us. He wants us to offer him the sacrifice of praise and to offer it so authentically through the spirit. In other words, he wants us to give 
our best. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for this time of having to spend in the Word. We do recognize, O oh Lord, how far we fall short of the ability to give you our best. That our best is not even good enough in your sight, but we thank you that through the Holy Spirit you are able to sanctify our praises to you. You are able to sanctify our prayers, even our weak prayers. You are able to bring them to yourself through the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. We thank you, Lord. May you help us, O oh Father, to see the importance of truly giving you our whole heart, of, of offering to you our whole heart because you are truly worthy. Help us, O oh Father, repent from half-hearted worship. Help us repent from not offering you the best when we can offer you the best. Forgive us, O oh God. Lead us in the way that is pleasing in your sight. That we may be a people that are marked by a contrite and broken spirit before you. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.